Welcome to Stock in Development, the podcast where two media strategy nerds dissect what's developing in the world of entertainment. I'm your co-host, Eitan, joined as always by Mr. Carl. Hey, Carl, how are you doing? I'm doing well. I do have something very alarming to show you, though. Uh, okay. This is something that I was, was brought to my attention by Twitter earlier, and I just have to share this with you. Okay, Carly sharing his screen. Cartoon all stars to wait. Is this a new thing? No, this is from the nineties. Oh, I will tell you more about this at. But why don't you describe to the listener what you are looking at? <laughs> okay, I see a very. It's a movie poster. It says "Cartoon All Stars to the Rescue," kind of in cartoonish letters at the top, and then it has a combination of characters that includes the Looney Tunes, the Smurfs, Winnie the Pooh. The main ghost from Ghostbusters, whatever his name is, I don't even know. Slimer. Uh, Slimer. Is that Alf? Yes. Alvin and the Chipmunks. And I think that's it. Oh, the and baby the Muppets. Muppets. And Garfield. Right. And Huey Dewey Lewis from DuckTales. <laughs> what the hell? What is this? <laughs> okay. So I just had to show this to you. And let me read you the plot of this. I just like okay. I just need to watch this is my now my own most anticipated movie of the summer. Okay. The plot of Cartoon All Stars to the Rescue <laughs> chronicle, chronicles the exploits of Michael, a teenager who is using marijuana and stealing his father's beer. No. His younger sister Corey is worried about him because he started acting differently. When her piggy bank goes missing, her cartoon tie-in toys come to life to help her find it. After discovering it in Michael's room, along with his stash of drugs, the various cartoon characters proceed to work together and take him on a fantasy journey to teach him the risks and consequences of a, that a life of drug use can bring and save, can bring, and they also try to save the world. So this was financed by the Ronald McDonald House Charities, and it also features an introduction by then-President George H.W. Bush and Barbara Bush. <laughs> Wait, ha- I have a question, though. <laughs> More alarming than you sharing this with me. How come Carl Smotko had never heard about this? I I truly don't know. It. I also want to point out that it, it features an early vocal performance by. Um, never mind. I was going to say James Marsden. It's Jason Marsden. We're good. Not okay. James Marsden, but it does feature the voice of George C. Scott, the famous actor, as Smoke, the in, the embodiment of a drug cloud. So. Yeah, I don't know how I knew didn't know about this. Oh I must God. seek it out immediately. And just it sounds insane. And I don't know how I understand that it was for charity and through Mac, the McDonald Foundation, but how did they do this from a licensing perspective? I was gonna say exactly the thing that brought all the studios together to give their IP, well even though Disney only gave Huey, Dewey, and Louie, and the baby Muppets is the fight and against Pooh. marijuana. I guess Pooh. Did they and own Pooh in the 90s? Yeah, they maybe. did. Yeah, yeah, 77 was when they had, was the first Winnie the Pooh movie. Okay. But Jim Cummings, the voice of Pooh, is voicing Pooh and Tigger. It's not like they got all the talent. It's it's just very alarming. And the president gave an introduction to this. <laughs> this is fantastic. How, okay, very important question. How long is this? Um, great question. It can't because be this, too long. This could be the 
the first talking development live commentary episodes, depending on the Ooh. length of this thing. I I think that's a great call. We, it's it's thirty two minutes. We should just Ooh, do it as an episode. Perfect. We're, we're going on the record as watching this together on live on mic in the next few weeks. Oh, amazing! <laughs> so where where is this streaming? <laughs> Everywhere. Um, it's probably one of those where it's not streaming legally, but streaming everywhere on YouTube. Let's see. Yep, found it on YouTube. One second. Full length. Amazing. So, probably 4K, and then another one in 1080, another one with subtitles. I'm trying to see. Oh, it's a VHS rip. Oh, so great. I need to find oh. a VHS for the, like of these for you. This is going to be my life goal now. It's incredible. Yeah, we. we we are doing this in the next few weeks. Come, oh. let's do it. Now I hope that this thing that brought it to your attention, whatever tweet company or tweet person did it, that it didn't get that much attention so that we can bring it to the world. But honestly, we're piggybacking on a hero. So, that, so the tweet, uh, the, the context of the tweet was, um, it was people, it was the old, the most ambitious crossover in history meme from Avengers Endgame. Right. And somebody was like, this is actually the most ambitious crossover in history, and they're not wrong. <laughs> That's fascinating. I mean, until this, I had two things that were like that I loved in terms of trivia. Not they weren't none of them are, of course, that obscure, right? But the trivia for Mickey, Minnie, Box, and uh, Daffy in Who Frame Roger mm-hmm. Rabbit. And then both needed to have the same amount of uh, uh, of screen time. And then the other one, it's in 2016, in, sorry, in 2006, when, have you heard of Al Michaels? No. Okay, so Al Michaels is probably right now the most famous football announcer. He has, like, Sunday nights on NBC. And he used to be a voice of ESPN in 2006. Okay, I, I know this fact. Tell us. Okay. It's a great fact. <laughs> and he got traded from ESPN, aka Disney, to NBC in exchange for the rights to Oswald the Rabbit. Which I just find, like, to be the... I don't know. Fantastic. Of course, you know, there is a whole backstory of Oswald the Rabbit and Disney coming up with it and then getting stole, uh, like lost in copyright battles forever, I guess. Eitan, I don't think most of our listeners know who Oswald the Rabbit is. <laughs> Give us more context. <laughs> Okay, and you need to keep me honest because that's a part of the truth that I don't know that much. But <laughs> Oswald the Rabbit is basically like the original Mickey Mouse. Is the first kind of very like the first character that becomes famous that Walt Disney created, but he created it in partnership with. Do you know his name? He had a business partner, and I should of, know this. Of iWorks. No, someone that they they basically broke off. Oh no! I, I it was like some like he he had the rights that he was making cartoons for this other guy, and then at some point they kind of have a have a breakup, and this other guy has copyright for Oswald the Rabbit, and then mm-hmm. Disney basically like he's sad and he's on a I don't know, on a train trip somewhere, and he comes up with Mickey Mouse, like that first sketch with Bob Iwerks, and he's like, yeah, now I'm, now again the romanticized story is because of that he now cares a lot about copyright and blah 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 and he takes very good care of it and then oswald the rabbit gets lost in ownership i guess for 80 years and he ends up getting traded traded quote unquote (laughs) from nbc back to disney in exchange for al michaels so 
listener, the next time you're watching Sunday night on NBC and listening to Al Michaels, uh, now you can uh, really impress the people you're watching it with. And look forward to our episode on Cartoon All-Stars to the Rescue, which, not on the poster, is also Michelangelo the Ninja Turtle. So, Only one of the four? <laughs> <laughs> Only one of the four. <laughs> so, the most ambitious crossover in history, and we will make it even more ambitious when we insert ourselves into the narrative. That is fantastic. So, that is this, so is a, this, of course, is our episode primarily about the MCU and Black Widow, but... I don't know. I, did, I just wanted to delay talking about the MCU as much as possible. So here we are. <laughs> but I love it. Probably whenever. I don't know if it's going to be next week, but whenever we do it, I, I'm in love. This sounds great. <laughs> Thanks for. You said you had something you wanted to talk about in the at the at the top of the show. This uh, greatly uh, outpaced my expectations. You you don't outpace expectations. You outmatch expectations. I don't know. It's late. It, it's late you are it is almost 10 o'clock your time in eastern time i am chilling out in central time and we are both working on pacific time these days so <laughs> yeah we're very, very loopy <laughs> yeah that's the love of the game uh but okay i think we only had one news item today which was kind of a following up from last week when we talked about how universal was finally nbc comcast was finally investing in peacock and they announced that all the slate of Universal was going to go to Peacock for the first four and the last four months of the usual, quote-unquote, theatrical window. Uh, sorry, mm-hmm. pay one window. Which left the, the middle ten months kind of in limbo. And last week, we didn't know what they were going to do. Again, because news don't care about stock and development. I think the day after or two days after, it came out that uh, Amazon actually struck a deal with uh, Universal. Yeah, so Amazon is getting a split across Prime Video and IMDb TV, which is their ad-supported video service, which is kind of an odd duck because it's it's not just Amazon Prime with ads. It's IMD. It's separate content, including like the entirety of Mad Men and The Walking Dead with ads that you can't get on Amazon Prime Video. It's, it's a very strange service. They're also trying to make original content for it. And with that, they're also splitting up the film slate from Universal. They're putting the, the biggest and best stuff, like Jurassic World. Well, okay, I see the biggest and best stuff. And the next two movies it cites are The 355 and Ambulance, which sound like fake movies. What are those? Bloomhouse? Maybe? I don't know. They cite like so Bloomhouse. They're also getting, oh, it's it's an American action spy movie starting starring Jessica Chastain, Lupita Nyong'o, Diane Kruger, Penelope Cruz. Oh, okay, so that's the three five five. That sounds like a real movie, and Ambulance, which, googling Ambulance just showed up how to yeah, get an ambulance in, in Conroe. Oh, Ambulance is the new Michael Bay film. About two bank robbers who steal an ambulance occupied by a paramedic and a patient in critical condition. Cool. So yeah, <laughs> that, Amazon's that film slate is like... <laughs> film slate is real strong here. Real strong. All right, I, I just got derailed. You want to finish the news item here? <laughs> yeah, all good. And then the yeah, apparently, I mean, it's interesting because apparently Amazon this is a ten they call it a ten figure deal, which is in line to what Sony inked with Netflix, which was around $1 billion. And 
it, it is interesting because Amazon is splitting it, like you mentioned, between Prime and, and IMDb TV. But I think it's also interesting because... I mean, Netflix showed it with, with Sony of just being like, yeah, we're going to create our own content, and yet we're going to spend billions on a catalog of movies and on big movies. And then this is Amazon saying exactly the same, right? We're, we're spending millions in some of these shows. Isn't the, the Lord of the Rings show supposed to cost like half a billion dollars, supposedly? Like 500 I mean, I've million seen dollars? a billion listed. I, I, I don't know how much it costs. Okay, yeah. So at the same time that Jeff Bezos wants to go to space, they are probably spending a couple of billion on 10 months worth of Universal movies on top of the 8 billion that they spent on MGM. Yeah, it's wild that they're they're spending this much on that shows you how simultaneously overvalued MGM is and undervalued MGM is. Mm-hmm. That like it's worth 8 times this deal for much better movies than MGM's going to pump out, mm-hmm. but at the same time, I don't know, from the other perspective, you're paying 8 times eight times more at maximum for an entire studio that you know made the wizard of oz and james bond right and including all of the back catalog for as long as you can get the licensing deals of course but yeah exactly and it's just the uh, i think we were talking a couple of weeks ago of how there is consolidation but the reasons like everyone wants to continue to play it both ways and have the cake and eat it too and Again, it's just as it is interesting to see how the strategy and the business model of each is different. Also, just how it is crazy how is Disney the only one that it's doing everything on their own? Like they're not licensing out and they are not buying anything? Because everyone else is a mess in in different ways. But Disney is kind of the cleanest. It's not perfect in the US because of Hulu, but I, I was going to say, it's not perfect because of Hulu. I also don't know what the Fox rights are like. I imagine it's much messier with Fox and will remain messier. But right. as far as mainline Disney animation, the majority of the Disney live-action films late, Pixar, Marvel, and Lucasfilm, I believe, yes, they are ex- exercising the most control. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, everyone... Again, it's <laughs> we were saying last week. It's very easy to put ARPUs next to each other and compare them. But these are all very different beasts in top line, in bottom line, in cost structures, in expectations. And, uh, you know, listener Carl and I love uh, cautioning against comparing apples to apples in this world. And this is just another great example of that. Yeah. And it the deal just is, is strange. So, in... So I make I'm I jest about the three five five and ambulance sounding like they don't exist, and having read the descriptions, I still feel like they don't exist. <laughs> but Universal's biggest movies will go to Prime Video, as will Focus Features, their independent company, and right. Blumhouse. But beyond that, they are sending other major films straight to AVOD with mm-hmm. IMDb TV, including. So they're sending the the new Minions film. Wait, no. Okay, cut this out. Sorry. Got that confused. Okay, cool. They're sending 
The Invisible Man, which did quite well this year. Sing 2, which is highly anticipated this year. And F9, which is weirdly out of place to A1. Yeah. F9 might be the biggest movie this year. Yeah, they're also sending Doolittle to Avod, which is just horrendous trash and not even worth fun, like hate watching. Yeah. It's just boring. Yeah. And apparently, the, the rationalization behind this is technicalities. 20 and 2021 slate going to IMDb3, 2022 and beyond going to Prime. And that's why F9 is falling yeah. kind of in IMDb3. But that feels like a very weird way of doing it. Like, just spend an extra 15 minutes saying these movies go here, this movie goes there, instead of a made-up... I mean, calendar is not made up, but that just feels strange. And, I mean, here's a quote directly from the VP of content from Prime Video, Brad Beal. This new slate of Universal Film Entertainment Group films, including exciting upcoming releases such as Jurassic World Dominion, the 355 and ambulance. <laughs> I can't, oh, those were the three ones that you mentioned. They mentioned them. So they mentioned it higher up in the article. They mentioned it here in the press release from the VP. And they will continue to build upon Prime Video's catalog and delight mem- Prime members at no additional cost. Dear Brad Beal, nobody knows what 355 and ambulance is. So thank you. Yeah. We should send him an email. Yeah. Just, I, 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 okay, ambulance sounds ridiculous. It sounds watchable if it wasn't Michael Bay, and now I'm just I'm also kind of intrigued because it's Michael Bay. Like what what does he have to say about this insane plot machination? Okay. AUA. Middle of the episode. What would we take that plot, take Michael Bell out. Which director <laughs> you want directing ambulance? And then a hijacker what? Hijacking an ambulance with a paramedic and a critical yeah. patient. Wes Anderson? <laughs> I I mean, I would say M. Night Shyamalan. Hell yeah, let's do it. The the critical patient was a monster and like something. I He can just direct a, a, a thriller out of it too. And yeah, maybe it's a monster. I don't know. But certainly sounds better than... But I, don't, I don't know. It seems like they need some sort of nuance for bank robbers that have empathy for the paramedic and patient that they kidnap because... Otherwise, why doesn't the movie just end with to start with them like pushing them out of the ambulance? I guess question. I guess we're watching ambulance. Yeah, exactly. There's on like Prime Video once like it hits e- the Bay One video. <laughs> it's like an Inside Man twist where the money was in the Critical Man all along, inside of him or something like that. Uh, anyway, okay. So back back to the extra strategy of this. It's it's a weird deal. It's very in line with everything we've seen it's a large amount of money in context of the mgm deal but it's also a small amount of money and Mm -hmm. it's weird that this is the first avod service that has gotten this Mm -hmm. yep i have to say before moving on i am intrigued by what comcast is doing you could say this makes no sense right they have peacock which is kind of a mess in the way that it's structured but it has great content they're gonna have the olympics that by the way that may be the place where i watch most of them well it's the only place most people can (laughs) yeah exactly uh they have this weird deal that they made with the only amc or all the theater the theatrical just amc where they share uh uh they have a revenue share for once 
uh, movies go to AVOD, sorry, to uh, PVOD, so that the theatrical window is smaller. Then they also have this deal where they are kind of mixing what they're sending to Peacock and what they're selling over. They are by far the most hybrid. They are the ones playing in everything, right? Sony, we talk, they're Abzilla, but they don't have a streaming. Well, they have like stars or Showtime. I don't even know. Yeah. Sony has something. And then everyone is weird and universal. It's... Again, you can be very cynical and saying this makes no sense. Consolidate. You could say they're actually diversifying very well and trying to get from everywhere while everything falls. And it, but I mean, in this type, in this world where everyone seems to be converging on the same types of structure, uh, this is this is different. So intriguing. It, they're also the only ones playing the game that AT and T was trying to play, where they they were playing it from an old wireline perspective with having broadband and cable. But they own some of the pipes the content flows through, and they own the content. Nobody else is playing that game. And then if they buy Discovery slash yeah. whatever. I, okay, I guess you could say that Amazon's playing that game because they own the, I don't know, the pipe interchange where all the pipes connect, but I think that's a bit of a stretch. <laughs> and they own the actual servers where everything yeah. is saved. They probably own Comcast servers, yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, that's kind of the layer that we've never talked about, right? All of these streaming services are in AWS. <laughs> so actually, Amazon is winning. Everyone yeah. every, everyone grows, Amazon wins. It's bizarre. And also, most of Amazon's profits are buoyed by that business. <laughs> yep. Oh, by far. All right. So, Disney? So, Disney. Okay. Well, I don't know why I said Disney. It's all Marvel this week. <laughs> and I guess it's Disney Plus strategy and the same stuff we always talk about. Yep. You know? Yeah. Okay. So... Black Widow came out this weekend. Mm -hmm. I have not seen it. I know the one part of the plot that is important for context that we're going to talk about later, but I do plan on seeing it. Mm -hmm. You watch it on Premiere Access, right? Yeah, I did Premiere Access. Okay. Uh, first of all, kudos, Disney IT team. Bought it in the computer. 0.5 seconds later, reloaded, like it, it showed in my TV. Like, easy, simple, good UX, good UI. We take these things for granted. Awesome experience. You, you didn't want to share the, the money between your two favorite companies? Just give it all to Disney? I actually wanted to always go to Disney. I only have <laughs> Disney stock. I don't have Roku stock. So. <laughs> <laughs> I have, like, one in Robin Hood. But, uh, no, I was just in my computer when we decided to have it, and it was, like, the TV was on. And But that's part of the conversation that we should have. It actually. is. And it was fine. Like, we had a good time. I really enjoyed it. It it has some of the... I was talking with Kevin last night, yes, and, and it is crazy. It's kind of a mix of, like, three different spy movies. It starts being Jason Bourne, then it becomes, like, James Bond, and then it becomes, like, Captain America. And... Hmm. The second half, it's very much Captain America, like, and the Winter Soldier type of ending. Mm -hmm. Like, you can change the name, and it's exactly the same. Of plot, and what happens, and the MacGuffins, and the side quests, and the... <laughs> like, somehow, down... the in... somehow the entire 
climax is taking place exactly 100 feet off the ground. <laughs> That's yep. what it looks like from the trailer. <laughs> yeah, well, not 100, but like whatever. And there is a side quest for someone that somebody cares about that it's bad, but they want to mm-hmm. keep good, so they don't want to let them die. Uh-huh. And then there is a data stick that they need to get data and plug it somewhere. Uh-huh. And then somebody that you like, but that is not that important, goes to try to blow the engines. Like, down to, like, ten different things. But it's good. It's fun. Florence Pugh is awesome. Cool. In it is pretty great. It does have some of the... I th- I'm on the record saying that I do enjoy one of the pieces of lighting in the bottle of the MCU. Is that you can start a movie with, like, zero background on what's happening. And yeah. 95% of people watching get it. Like, is it fair. is crazy. Here... Like, do you know when it takes place, technically? Even if you don't, in a second, you're going to be like, perfect, I know where it is. It's between Civil War and Infinity War? Right. Okay. But, like, if you didn't know when it was between Infinity War and Endgame, or right before Civil War or whatever, you would, like, figure it out in a second. Right. And you would get the references, and you can, like, you can start the story right there. Which is fun and good. Impressive. Yeah. Uh, Daniel Harbour, great. Uh, Rachel Weiss, great. It's uh, it's fun. It's good. I'm happy I did it in Premier Access and I saved some money, even in a household of two, versus going to the movies. Um, we had to stop it for a while because we had like a birthday Zoom back in Mexico mm-hmm. and it worked great. Uh, cool. So, yeah, from an experience perspective, uh, good. A plus in terms of experience. Again, not my favorite movie. I'll rewatch it in a plane, maybe not top Marvel, but fine. Well, hey, you were how much did you pay? Thirty-five or thirty? Thirty. Okay, so you were one of two million households that chose to rent it on Disney Plus this weekend. Yeah, pretty impressive numbers from Disney, and the first time they've released Disney Plus numbers. Exactly. Tell me, share share more numbers for content. Okay. Yes. Yeah. So. Healthy theatrical, 159 opening weekend. So that's 80 domestic, 80 international, roughly. So for context, we can take, we can say we they got 40 million domestic and 40 international from after ticket sales, uh, after their split going to theaters. So Disney Plus is 60 million. They take home about 70% of that. So about 42 oh, million. more. More. No, I think we researched this because I think this is like for Roku, I think they only pay like 5%. That's right. We did research that. For Disney, for Apple, Apple and Google, TV, yeah. For those, it 70. might be more or 15. I don't know if they're already more than a year in. So it's 15%, right? True. So, tech, so at worst case scenario, they made 42 off of Disney Plus uh, compared to 40 and 40 for theatrical. So, and great basically, they did like 55. Correct. Yes. So great weekend for Disney Plus, but also a great weekend for theaters and gives me a lot of hope that this mixed model appeals to different people and is sustainable on all fronts. Yeah. This is kind of, of course, uh, it's probably the biggest movie Disney has released on Disney Plus at the same time. It's also one that has uh, the best time. I mean, any movie from now on, more and more people are going to feel comfortable to go to theaters. It's also one movie that people are going to want to watch in the big screen. Yeah. But, like, I probably want to watch Jungle Cruise more in the big screen than this one. 
I feel like Black Widow, my expectation was like very narrow in terms of variance, like what I expected. I didn't think it was going to be awesome or it was going to be awful. I think the Jungle Cruise is like that. I think the scope is like so broad for me. It can be awfully bad or it can be quite good or anywhere in the middle. And I have no idea. I had so the, I want to give her the benefit of that. I had the opposite reaction to the trailers. So Black Widow, I'm going in like, why would I care about the most boring character in the MCU? Well, one of the most. I, I would argue that uh, Gamora is more boring. But Black Widow is pretty boring from a great actress, as is Gamora. Why would I care about a movie about the most boring character in the MCU who's also dead versus one of my favorite attractions directed by a director who I find delightful? And then I see the trailers for both, and I'm like, oh, Black Widow, kind of into this, good cast. And then I see the trailer for Jungle Cruise, I'm like, wow, this looks pretty pretty rough. Yeah, so we'll, we'll see. I'm going to give it I'm gonna give it a go. Okay, okay, um, fair. But yeah, my biggest read of the numbers is... I, I want to do the math backwards, which I mm-hmm. don't see. Like in Twitter, we've talked about people try to say, oh, this means that if each household has four and these tickets, I feel like that's impossible to do. Yep. It's impossible to know how many of these people would have watched it in theaters. It's impossible to know the Naman. But the one thing that I do like to do is what you were doing, but backwards in terms of saying, like, let's say they made 50 million in profit. Let's mm-hmm. say if to make 50 million in profit from theaters, they would have had to make 100 million, right? In revenue, in box office numbers, so that yeah. it's apples to apples. That would bring their, their opening weekend to 260, yeah. right? Instead of like 220, where it is right now. Right. And that's like just so much more impressive. And to your point, such a great, I mean, it seems to be a, I don't think, I think this is in hindsight. I don't, I think that number is very difficult to do, but $30 per movie seems to just be like the sweet spot in very, in a lot of different ways, even, even for a household of two, which is probably what they're going to like, try to grab even the households of two. Because households of five are like no no choice, right? It's yeah. not even right. It's amazing. Yeah. You save so much money, and I think it's great. I I I mean, I also sorry. No, I, I was gonna say I think it's it is a sweet spot. It's it's expensive enough that it disincentivizes a single person or even sometimes two people from going to rent it online versus going to a theater it's kind of like it's it's stupid to rent it for one person it, it makes about as much sense as going to the theater for two people and it, just, it mm-hmm. becomes a matter of preference and then it slots perfectly into the price point where people are trying to make the decision of whether they see a movie or wait for it to hit streaming because of their family or whatnot and they have premiere access right there i i bet this was the first premiere access that actually made enough money that they wanted to release results that's what i was gonna go like you mentioned, it's like, oh, it's the first time Disney Plus is releasing. And I'm like, I don't think they're going to do this again. <laughs> no. I think this makes a lot of sense. I think competing versus F9 on these numbers, this was the only way they were going to get to like 200 million. Yep. And they say that was one. Another one was that they are really pushing to have a very strong quarter in terms of being able to say parks are back open. Like Q3, which yep. just started, which is going to be their Q2 because their financial year is weird. So not when they report in a couple of weeks, but in three months. 
This is going to be the first quarter that all the parks are open, 100%, no restrictions. And this is kind of going for that super strong quarter. There is also this uh, group of, I was reading on Twitter, that apparently some theater chains abroad are kind of pushing mm-hmm. back a little bit against the day and date release with Premier Access. And this is kind of a some backwards way of pressuring them and saying, like, not only is this not going away, but, like, this is doing great. So you better reconsider and start showing my movies now because this is not going away. Yeah. I, I just... The, the exhibitors don't have power here, especially with Disney. They, they barely had power with Disney to begin with. Like, you had to show specific trailers and specific movies in theaters in order to get Star Wars rights or Marvel rights for your theater. It's... There's, like, they didn't have power before the pandemic, and they certainly don't have power against Disney. They have power against Universal, obviously, based on how the Universal's made deals, but Disney's too strong to be fought against here. Right. Um, I think the, the even though they might not do it again, the I, re- I think the most important point, or the most important number, is the one you mentioned at the top, which is... Only 2% of Disney Plus subscribers globally bought it in Premier Access. Yeah. And it still made $60 million in its opening. Yeah. Weekend. Again, you're not going to get the repeat because now like now that I paid, I can watch it as many times as I want for free, which wouldn't happen in the box office. But just getting that bomb from 2%, it's crazy. Like hitting that volume and still betting like, right? Now you know. MCU movie, 2%. That's the low bar. And it suddenly oh. becomes kind of like doable and you have the information on, of how it's watching. And I think that's a very strong signal. I agree. And your point about rewatchability is it, it doesn't matter in the modern blockbuster world anyway, because the majority of profits happen within the first two to four weeks anyway. Usually people aren't going back to see things three four times they might see it twice and if you're the sort of person that goes and sees it twice you're probably the person seeing it alone or with one other friend and then the the economics work out that it's the same as a premier access rental anyway so probably really not that like big of a detriment there for cannibalizing that market as much as they would have been in like 1995 right and then i feel like that the signal is also so important as as you go forward because suddenly if it's just an, another lever that you can pull, like I would love to, I mean, Disney, if you're listening and you need someone to think about this, but let's say Carl, Bob Iger and Chape come to you next week and they say, the only thing you need to do over the next four months is figuring out without changing the content, how do we increase that 2% to 2.5? Mm-hmm. What, what do we do from a content engagement or UX or let's not even think of marketing, but like from a, an experience within Disney Plus to go from 2% to 2.5. And that already, that tiny 0.5%, it's such a massive boost that you now have a lever that you didn't have before, right? Before you yep. were like, yeah, I'm going to do this deal, I'm going to figure it out or the content or whatever. And now you own 100% of this experience and 100% of the A-B testing and 100% of the decisions that you can make of like, oh, I'm going to put this second in the reel instead of first. Or yeah. whatever, and you can have so many quick wins. Yeah, a 0.5 bump there is going to be 15 million, and that's a lot of money. 
especially for a streaming service. So, makes and it's fifteen million for sense. that movie, which probably also works for every other premier access movie that they do yeah. release. I mean, and big lever number one, just make it wait longer until it hits Disney Plus. Like, <laughs> at a certain point, the conversation's strong enough; it's there. I also think. There's there's this great Steven Soderbergh quote about how like after he released he self distributed Logan Lucky, and it didn't do too too hot unfortunately it should have it's a fantastic movie it's great, but he said in I think the Atlantic the next year in an interview that he wishes that there was just a button where if a movie's not doing well on distribution they could just push a button and it lands on every streaming platform or, or VOD platform and I think we're reaching that world. And I think sure. that's what Disney could do here. If it's doing great, they just don't announce a release date, keep milking it, and then say, hey, in two months it's coming, or tomorrow it's coming. Whereas if it's doing terribly, just be like, mm, okay, our sus- subscriber bump is going to be higher than what we're going to eke out over the, the short term, and it'll be like a gift to the fans or whatever, you know? Like, makes sense. Especially as we're going to get to they have to time the Marvel stuff pretty exactly in order for mm-hmm. all the mythology to line up. Right. Yeah, yeah, we'll... I'm sure we'll get to that. Yes. But this this was just like this... Ah, it's so great. I have another piece of trivia for you connected to this. This is just the second movie that has either a day and date release or, uh, you know, it was supposed to come out in theaters, but it came out in... Uh, Premiere pivot, mm-hmm. whatever, in the pandemic. Do you know what was? Do you remember what was the first one? Oof. Or the only other one, I guess. Not Disney in general. So we're, we're not talking Wonder Woman, are we? Nope. Okay, because that, that wasn't rental. That was direct to HBO Max. Sure. So HBO is just down for the count in this this game. Okay. Yeah. Just one other studio for another movie made a big deal out of a release in this world and how much money it made. Yeah. It's Black Widow and... Mm. The movie that changed everything. The movie of the pandemic. The first one to get pulled on thea- off theaters and released for a premium, rent- premium rental price. Oh, is it Trolls World Tour? Trolls World Tour by Universal. <sighs> wow, that was a throwback. A year and three months ago now? That wow. predates stock in development. It, I mean, it, it. it's part of a big reason why we ideated stock in development, but you're right. right. It predates it. Yeah, so this is just a second wow. movie. Wow, what which, a throwback. Again, it just shows that back to our transparency episode a couple of weeks ago you share your numbers when it makes sense for you it also shows that i mean universal made a stupid deal with amc because nobody's done this again since then and just distributors don't have that much to be worried about because everything's moving so slowly in a year where it could have moved really quickly yeah it's um I, I'm the only one thing that I would love for Disney to do, which they are absolutely not going to do, is next week when we get you know how much Black Widow came down for the second week, 
that they also sh- share how many people bought the movie in the second yeah. week versus the first one. Because I want to have a rule of thumb for that, right? For MCU, yeah, for sure. you were talking about the second week decline. And it's like, what? 50%? 60%? Yeah. Even more now? I wonder if, if it's going to be something like that or even more. Because of... We, we saw that with F9. F9 went down 67% the first weekend and 50% from from the second weekend to the third weekend. So, like, par for the course that insane hockey stick curve is still here to stay yeah i would be i would be surprised they're not gonna release it but if black widow made 30 million in disney plus the second week i'd be surprised i i if they may if it made an equitable amount amount of money or better than theatrical returns i could see them releasing it just to kind of flex but i don't think they're going to because the news cycle moves on so quickly yeah that's like the signal right if they don't but i guess that's also the part of a the psychology of marketing of right one of the points why they released it was maybe to say that it was a 200 million movie yeah and then it's now on everyone's minds because everyone is saying oh my god it did so much and then if you are a well not a carl but somebody else that didn't watch it in the first weekend and they may be on the fence now they might be more likely to buy it and this already drives a little bump on the second week i was about to make a joke about Disney being threatened by Shyamalan's old this weekend, but comes out next weekend. You know what comes out this weekend? Should I? Oops, Oops Barry Jenkins. Ooh, one Barry Jenkins. Yeah, Spirit Space Jam: A New Legacy. Space Jam Are you super excited? I'm more excited for this drug movie we're gonna watch. <laughs> I'm very excited about that. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 Space Jam. Talk about the throwback for our childhood, no? It's Space Jam and then Jungle Cruise. Or Jungle Cruise the 30th. I think it's two weeks from Friday. I think it's... They wouldn't release Black Widow and Jungle Cruise that quickly. Yeah, I think it's I think it's the end of the month. Yeah. Oh, man. I, 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 I'm kind of with you that I, I'm leaning towards I could be disappointed and what I'm staying toward. I want to keep the hope. Wait, you have hope about... Space Jam and Legacy? No, about the Jungle Cruise. Oh, okay. I was like... Sorry. I, no. Please tell me more. Where is this hope coming from, Aton? <laughs> I might watch Space Jam in... Uh... HBO? I mean, yes, for sure. But I might... Yeah, it's free. If it was 30 bucks, I wouldn't. But also, I, we're in New Jersey with Ariela's family, and she has a lovely four-year-old niece. And, I mean, she, of course, she doesn't know who LeBron James is, but the Looney Tunes... And I might be like, oh, you know the Iron Giant? Oh, do you know the Clockwork Orange guys? Oh, do you, <laughs> you know? And she might enjoy seeing Bugs Bunny. I think she probably has a better chance of knowing who LeBron James is than all of those pieces of IP in that movie. <laughs> it's, it's, she loves Frozen. I thought you were going to say she loves a Clockwork Orange. No, of course, yeah. But she loves Frozen. Ten years after the wow. first one. That one... I feel like... Yeah, Frozen is going to be one of those that in 50 years people are going to be like, oh yeah, Alice in Wonderland 1950, Frozen 2011, now, you know, Frozen 75 in 2050, whatever. Yeah. Oh, for sure. It's definitely that entangled will stick around from this generation of films. I hope Tangled. I need, we need to keep the flame alive. We asked her if she has watched Tangled. She didn't even know what it was. We're showing it to her this week. We need to make sure John Lasseter makes as much money as he can. <laughs> Wait. Okay, honest question. Honest AUA. Executive producers. Yeah. 
that have like okay even broader dumb question that I, maybe this discredits me as a host of a media podcast but what's the ref share for producers and executive producers is it like Truly forever no idea okay because also him that he was like the head of the studio and then he was an executive producer of everything i don't think there is they probably don't have a percentage he has an awesome salary and stock options and that's it yeah he, he might have a rev share as part of that deal like ex- exec and exec producers and producers can both get rev share if they're savvy enough and important enough like I imagine Christopher Nolan has rev share on the man of on Man of Steel, you know, and he's an exec producer on that. So, I think it just depends on the amount of work they put into it and the amount of creative input they put into it. Which my joke is predicated on the fact that John Lasseter did have a lot of creative input into one of the most expensive movies ever made, Tangled, mm-hmm. <laughs> because they basically redid it twice. I don't think even Bob Iger has rev share on Frost. Well, like, there is no it. way for this movie. I mean, he didn't, but... Disney is such a... I don't know. Disney animation, right? Makes everything in-house. There is no hires for the movies. Yeah. Everyone is an employee. A unionized employee. Mm-hmm. Like, who... I, I don't... Anyway. We were talking the other day about Pixar and being a you know, tech company. And uh, Walt Disney Animation is a blue-collar <laughs> manufacturing... What? You know, Western, Eastern Pennsylvania town type of company. <laughs> it's blue collar work. But that is one I mean, of the wilder. That's one of the wilder things about Disney versus Pixar is that they can't work on each other's projects because Pixar's not union. It's. Uh, oh, okay. speaking of real quick. Yeah. Tangents. Speaking of projects, where how much do they cost? And you brought up that thing about Lord of the Rings costing anywhere from five hundred million to a billion dollars. Am I misremembering that years ago, like when Disney Plus was just a twinkle in like the rumor mill, mm-hmm. the eye of the twinkle in the eye of the rumor? I was trying to mix too many metaphors there, but I remember hearing that Disney was or Pixar was working on a TV show, yes, and that it was running into problems because it was way too expensive and going to cost like twenty million an episode, and yes. that it was a Monsters Inc. show, yes. I watched and the first sh- episode yesterday. That show came out with like zero fanfare this week. Zero. Right? And it's the the animation is bad. Yeah, I just I just I forgot that existed until I clicked on Disney Plus the other day to watch Honey I Blew Up the Kid. Hell yeah. Oh, to sit for the soundtrack as you retweet. Oh no, I just fell in love oh, with the soundtrack because of the movie. I just, honestly, so Podcast the Ride was talking about the playground in MGM Studios themed after it. So I was like, I want to watch one of these movies. And I always liked that one. So that's where that came from. Anyway, I clicked on it and then I saw that Monsters, Inc. promo. And I was like, that just jogged so many memories of, didn't the show cost like hundreds of millions of dollars to make? And they're just not even promoting it now? What's going on there? It's not good. It's not good. They didn't want Again, people to watch it, but they just spent money, so much money that now they have to release it. But yeah, zero. Not good for Pixar. <laughs> no. And but what was this thing? Because in D23 when I was there, I remember then. Oh no, it was during the Investor Day in November, where Pete Doctor, your friend Pete, announced kind of this 
the first full length maybe it was the first original Pixar TV show this one about the softball team remember mm. that was the same day but seen from different perspectives from all mm-hmm. of the and I remember they pitching that as the first blah they blah blah Pixar TV pitching show pitching that yeah hello yeah. Carl's no sports um <laughs> <laughs> the yeah I don't even know maybe they were wondering they were they wanted for us to forget about it they just wanted investors to forget that they read a Hollywood reporter reporter Hollywood reporter article five years ago that said this. that said something about a yeah Monster Sync it's pretty bad uh, but Ariel and I found something in Disney Plus, which, like, ever since I was maybe 10 or mm-hmm. 9 or whatever, I haven't watched a kid's TV show for, like, no, even, less, like, let's say for four-year-olds or five-year-olds, you know? Okay, I see like, I remember, yeah. like, manga, and I remember, like, things like that, and there are cartoons that if I find it, like, yeah, of course I rewatched, like, whatever, Arnold or Cat Dog or Bob SpongeBob or whatever, but, like, even younger. And in Ariela's work, um, a couple of weeks ago, she was like, hey, we need to watch this show because an editor sent an email that this is like the most horrifying story. Have you heard about Bluey? Bluey? Yeah. Have you heard about this show? Sure haven't. Okay. It's an Australian Actually, show. I think Pete watches this. Okay. You need to watch it. It's like six-minute episodes. And it's absolutely for kids. But it's so freaking cute. I, I'm pretty sure Pete's told me to watch this. Okay. Okay, you need to watch it. It's probably Ariela's and my like favorite thing in Disney Plus now. I don't know okay. for us if it is the Australian accent. I don't know if it's the... Like, it has like very cool and progressive and storylines and stories and very simple messages. It's very cute. So instead of watching Monsters at Work, if you have six minutes, watch Bluey. And then, because of Bluey, whenever you watch it, let's talk about Australian real estate. And you're going to realize why after you watch Bluey. Because there's okay. something weird happening with their house. But uh, <laughs> watch Bluey. <laughs> All right. You're going to think the same. Especially now that you're going to San Francisco and you're thinking of like rent prices. Like Bluey's house, man. Whew. <laughs> another level alright well I think there's a good chance to, to transition now that Let's we have it. devolved into talking about children's entertainment and yes. Pixar shows that don't exist let's talk about the future of the MCU for like 10, 20, 30 minutes however long it takes Let's do it. so you want to spoil the movie that you haven't seen or well, I want to spo- spoil do you pull the post credit scene so I'm going to spoil the post credit scene and contextualize it with the TV show I also haven't seen. So <laughs> please, the, the post credit scene, it, you should probably be the one to tell them this since you've actually seen it. But essentially Florence Pugh meets with Julia Louis-Dreyfus's character from Falcon and the Winter Soldier and is like, I know who killed your sister and it was Hawkeye. And then basically it's like Hawkeye will return on Disney+. Plus. It doesn't say that, but you know it's coming. Right. Yeah. Did I get it right? Yeah, that's basically Yelena cool. Florence Pugh goes to visit the the grave of Natasha. 
the middle of the forest. Her body is in the middle of the universe, but she has a grave. It's very nice. I was going to say, and, how did her body get back from the cliff? <laughs> uh, who knows? Captain America traveled in time and brought it. And she, yeah, she gets approached by this. I'm not a comic person, so I don't know the canon, but like you said, Juliet Louis-Dreyfus character comes in, who apparently she's going to put together this Suicide Squad type team, Dark mm-hmm. Avengers or something like that. And uh, speaking, you mentioned the the timing of MCU and world building. Her character was supposed to be introduced here in Black Widow. Yeah. Because she appears in a couple of episodes on the, of the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. And then uh, they had to do it backwards. They ended up pushing both. Falcon and the Winter Soldier was supposed to come out before WandaVision. But they pushed both. It was backwards. It didn't matter because... They don't explain anything in the post-credit scene, so it's not like you know who she is. But yeah, Marvel went from teasing the Avengers after Iron Man to teasing a Disney Plus show in Black Widow. It's pretty. I mean, to be fair, this is this this is gonna kind of launch their next team. And of course, like Yelena is gonna arrive at Hawkeye and then realize it's all a misunderstanding and become best friends. But uh, yeah, that's what they're with teasing. Yeah, you're right. There's no way she's the villain of this show for more than like two episodes. You know? Yeah, yeah. No, no way. And that just seems to be how they're they're going with all these shows, which is the premise. They set up the premise and just clear it within the first two episodes and move on to something else. Loki's the same way. Have I seen more than two episodes of Loki? No. Do I know what happens in Loki? Yes, I do. Wait, because you've I'm only insane. watched the first two. Mm-hmm. Ah, oh, come on. Those were the worst. Uh, yeah, I, I, I actually okay. do want to watch the now. show. Yeah. And I like Richard E. Grant, and I like Crocodiles, so we'll see. Tom Hiddleston is pretty great in general. Yeah, yeah and, and Tom Hiddleston as Loki is a really good performance in general. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, but overall, this just speaks to... There's kind of two threads Disney's pulling on with the MCU right now. One is they're trying to make premium tv content that attracts people because it's a strategy that keeps people engaged longer it keeps them in the conversation longer and it's cheaper on average to produce and they're also trying to move as far away from the 25 movies that end up telling one story thing as possible because it's completely unwieldy and unsustainable beyond the one time they did it Mm -hmm. and the other part, which is kind of... I didn't know, but apparently Loki, for example, is the first one that it's not a limited series. Oh, I didn't realize it wasn't limited. Apparently. Okay. Apparently there's going to be a season two. But, again, it makes sense because the other characters are mainline canon living Avengers. And Loki is an aberration in the space-time continuum. But that we might learn that the version that lived in the Avengers was this version. Exactly. We, we don't, don't know. know. We don't know. Until tomorrow? Two days. Probably the day that this comes out. We'll know. Um, but yeah, I, wanna, I want us to keep ourselves accountable. Again, you're always very on point and on brand. And you're able to see beyond the, fa- the facade of uh, content. But... <laughs> Again, right? We know MCU 
gets the bar is lower for people to considering a good movie. Part of it is superhero movies, they can be entertaining without being, you know, Black Panther and being amazing. Mm-hmm. Part of it is fandom and fanboys and fangirls and defending even if it's not great. Part of it is they're at a point where they can make stories that are just different without and don't have to spend time setting up the worlds or whatever it is, but it's, it's like Tom Brady. I'm a New England Patriot kind of guy, and he was there for 20 years. And every single year since 10 years ago, it's like, okay, this has to come to an end at some point. Right. Okay, this has to come to an end at some point. Okay, now this is crazy. This has to come to an end at some point. And you watch this late that they have for the next three years, and I don't know any of these characters. Yeah. Right? They're already but it doesn't like, matter. Right. It doesn't matter anymore. And... Uh, Hopefully, and what I wish happens, and this is probably also where you're going to come in, but curious for your thoughts, is that I hope it stays at the top because they can continue to pump good quality content. Right? We know these are not going to be masterpieces that are going to be hanging in the Louvre. But they've had some very strong, like, good movies, and I want them to continue. And I want them to continue to do good, and Black Widow wasn't that, but Shang-Chi looks interesting. Eternals is getting backlash because they do <laughs> natural light sunsets, and Kevin Feige thinks it's incredible. But it's just like, keep us accountable, Carl. Help us make stock development, keep Marvel accountable. So I, I disagree that Shang-Chi looks interesting because I, I saw it, I saw the trailer for that among four other trailers that included the escape room sequel and the gi joe snake eyes origin trailer and both of those were like hmm, i would see this and then shang chi is like eh, i'm good what do you mean the escape room sequel is there an escape room non-sequel there's escape room one yeah which i is saw escape room soul escape room is essentially toned like pg-13 song You, huh. you you should not like this is not a I've movie never that, heard like, of this got it it's yep. not a, a thing that broke the cultural conversation you're not like lo- losing out it was just like a, a small horror film that did like weirdly well and i watched half of it at the gym a few weeks ago so got it. fun on tvs with subtitles and it was kind of good so anyway you're not missing out i just so disagreement about shang chi aside i think overall you're correct. You don't bet against Marvel. And I think overall, the the one business concept we reference probably more than anything on here is the innovator's dilemma, a thing mm-hmm. we're obsessed with, mm-hmm. which says that you have to at some point cannibalize your, your beautiful children that make you a lot of money because otherwise those beautiful children are going to become leeches and drag you down and you're not going to be able to have any more beautiful children. Yep. And I think Marvel is very beautifully and rightly recognizing that they need to kill the MCU film line as the dominant part of the MCU and just kind of make it whatever. Like you can have some movies that do billion dollar movies. You can have some movies that perform like Black Widow if there wasn't a pandemic. And you need some TVs shows that kind of go deeper, attract kind of the, the naysayers and also don't cost much money. And I think there's a great way to kind of weave everything together. I'm very interested to see what they do with the multiverse of madness, the 
new Doctor Strange mm-hmm. film directed by Sam Raimi of Spider-Man mm-hmm. and Evil Dead fame. I think there's just there's a lot of interesting decisions and they're trying a bunch of stuff at once. And I think that's not a lack of I think that's intentional. And I think that's a actually brilliant move because that's how they figure out what is next versus mm-hmm. DC doing that because they have no clue what's going on or based on like, let's just make infinity saga with part two or like do a, another famous comic book arc. Right. I think it's brilliant. I think yeah. this is exactly what Kevin Feige should be doing. Do I have to watch the movies? No, but I need to talk about them. Exactly. Two, two things you made me think about the first one. Are the TV shows, the reaction to the innovators dilemma? Is this kind of a way of saying, like, we need to do something different? We need to tell, yeah. do things that are more in-depth? We need to give, you know, uh, Stan, the Winter Soldier, more screen time than, like, Black Panther ever got in total? And, like, these are... And then the second one is... There is a lot riding in Multiverse of Madness. But that's very much the way they do it, Right? Avengers, then Civil War, and then, of course, Infinity War and Endgame. We're kind of very clear, you know, every three years. You have to stop, and there is a ton riding in this movie doing well and setting the future. There is a ton riding in this movie doing well and setting the future. And Multiverse of Madness is going to have to bring things together from a... Like, if it brings things together with a Martha moment... I know you're a big Martha moment type of guy... <laughs> but like those those moments matter, right? For they people do. to buy things, and then here now we, there is timelines, and there is multiverses, and there are Nexus events, and then there are different versions of people. Mm-hmm. They need to stick the landing, and some Raimi it's a good choice, and and Benedicto Cumberbatchio. <laughs> I think Civil War is a very apt film to bring up because. It's, it's definitely an aberration in the canon where it's technically a third film in a franchise, the Captain America franchise. Yeah, but it's more of an Avengers. It's more Thor. of an Avengers film. But it's kind of a great course correct from Age of Ultron, which I like Age of Ultron. It explores some interesting ideas, but Age of Ultron's like the crappy sequel you would expect a company to make. Like, yeah. it doesn't really have much... To say, I mean, it doesn't have much for the characters to do, except like some weird conversations robots have that they shouldn't be having in the margins of the movie. Um, it doesn't look very good. It doesn't really move the universe along in any weird way. Whereas Civil War, the character motivations make no sense. Go- like com- going in and coming out of that film, like Tony and. Steve are both on opposite sides of the issue than they have ever been just because they have like emotional reasons to be it. But the landing sticks because the acting and the emotional timbre and decisions made by the characters are logical. And you have grown with these characters and grown to care with these characters over 15 movies or whatever at that point that it works. And I think that's when they started realizing that as long as the emotional logic of the movies is sound, we can do whatever the hell we want. And that is a really surefire way to like keep this universe alive, which is what comic books are based off of. If Batman doesn't make sense, it doesn't matter if you're having fun because you know who Batman is. 
you just watch Batman, you know? Yeah. It's just a, a trope that you've become so familiar with that it's like, I enjoy hanging out with this character who makes no sense and is just kind of mentally unstable. Who cares? Right. Yeah. And I think that's exactly the... In that craziness of a comic world, it's like Loki, right? Yeah, exactly. It's like, yeah, this is a different Loki. He hasn't grown. This is the first Avengers Loki. It's like, nobody cares. Like 10 we minutes like into Loki, you're like, I love Loki. This is the best. It doesn't yeah, matter exactly. that he's not the Loki that was in Ragnarok. And... But yeah, Civil War, I was thinking the other day, it's probably the one that I gravitate the most to, to rewatch. That, that's a fair I, take. I like it. I uh, mean, the, the... in general, for specific yeah. moments, I feel like watching something else. But like, if I'm in a plane, if I'm in a gym, and that's there, it's a very strong... Yeah, I like it. On that note, moving to Aways, what is the... What are your favorite Marvel movies? I don't think I've ever asked you. What do you gravitate the most towards? Mm. In different yeah. settings or in different whatevers. I really like Iron Man 3. I think it's a very strong Shane Black film. I think the villain's interesting. The fake villain's interesting really digs into Tony's psyche and trauma and Tim and Pepper's relationship. And I really like the kid. I, I just think it's got a lot of stuff going for it. That's unique for Marvel and doesn't makes it feel less like a Marvel film. And on that note, I also think Iron Man, the first one is great. A lot of fun. Just completely original. And like what a mic drop of an ending. Like mm -hmm. great. Uh, so I, I like those. I like the Ant-Man films quite a bit because I think Paul Rudd and Michael Douglas are having a ton of fun in them. And Evangeline Lilly is also having a lot of fun in the, the second one. Black Panther is the best in most regards. It doesn't stick the landing for me, but it is the best in most regards. And Michael B. Jordan is the best. Yeah. And I really like Endgame. I have revisited Endgame. I think as much as I don't love the MCU, Endgame feels very earned. It has a lot of quiet moments of characters being boring and talking to each other about their feelings and what it means to be in this weird world, in this weird situation. And that's all I really want from comics is good characters. And Endgame finally gave, it to, gave them to me. So, yeah, those, those are the ones for me. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, and that's the other thing of Civil War, right? Realizing yeah. you can give the keys of your kingdom to the Russo brothers. So what Civil War did, right? After that, they gave them both Infinity War and Endgame. Both as writers and directors, right? And, and Captain America 2 is quite good. That was their first one? Yeah, it, it's quite good, and it's it's very much... Like, let's make a, a genre film riffing on stuff and... Do you mean Black expectations. Widow? You're going to see Black Widow, man. Yeah, I'll see Black Widow. The last, the last second half is Winter Soldier. Do you have an AUA for me? Yeah, sure. I'll just stick on this train. Who's your favorite Marvel superhero? Doesn't have to be an MCU superhero. It can just be anyone. I think it's Hugh Jackman's Wolverine. I yeah, that, that's, that's love fair. Hugh Jackman's Wolverine. You see, he, he uploaded a picture to Instagram with Kevin Feige. It's like, no, no don't do this to me. Yeah, like last week. I'm like, no, don't tease me. 
oh, don't tease me. I think I think he's great. All from the, I mean, the origins is awful, but I love Logan. I just rewatched Logan a couple of weeks ago, and it's such a great, it's spectacular, a spectacular ending to his character and his arc, and going through both versions of X Men, right? Like the originals, then the first class, and the, the new stuff, and he has his bo- his solo movies, and I'm biased because I love Hugh Jackman as a person and as a theater person, and I went to see his tour, you mm-hmm. know, two years ago in San Jose. Yeah. When he went to sing, it was great. Um, I think Wolverine. That was easier than I thought. Who's yours? I, yeah. I need to read more X-Men, just in general. Hmm. But I think on that point, mine is probably Magneto. Fassbenders or uh, Seer of Sears? Sears? How do you say it? Sir? Sirs? Ian? Like, how do you make Sir possessive? Sirs, or Sears Ian McKell. How would you say it? Yeah, Sears. Anyway, okay. Or his. Sirs Ian McKellen. Yeah. Or Gandalf. Why, <laughs> why are you trying to make it plural? <laughs> I don't know. I, I was trying to make it possessive, as if Ian McKellen was possessed by Sirs. Like okay. Sirs Ian. I I should have just made or Sir Ian McKellen's. Okay, I Magneto. see. I That's see. I okay. Yeah. Sorry, it's very late. <laughs> I was like, are you trying to give there's plural ones? No, uh, no, both. No. I, I think they're both interesting. And I just like the comic one. And the the thing with the so the great Marvel villains are ones that are kind of right. Like Magneto and Killmonger and Thanos, Thanos. are Thanos. <laughs> yeah. They're kinda right. Are are these radicals who I've had their philosophies philosophy has become twisted to the point where they do bad things, but they kind of have a point. And, yeah, and Magneto values. often does. And yeah. and Magneto is most interesting whenever he's working with the X-Men because he's very aligned with their interests. And yeah, I just think Magneto is a, a fascinating character. So yeah, Magneto. Who can just grab my favorite and just throw him in the air because it's made out of metal. Yeah. Suck it. Yeah. Mine's better. Thank you. Mine wins. Well <laughs> That's fun. Well, on that note, I think now we're going to be able to finish each episode saying the next episode might be the Cartoon All-Stars. <laughs> and you're just going to have to wait and see. But that should be fun. Hey, we could do a, call, a Cartoon All-Stars episode and it's just us watching this and then talking about Space Jam. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not committing to that because I'm probably not watching Space Jam. No. I mean, in a, in a gym. Why not? Okay. All right. Well, please remember to rate, re- review, and subscribe. Thanks for listening to this very loopy episode. But I had fun. Yeah. And we'll we'll talk to you next week. Maybe without cartoons also. Talk to you then. Later. Bye.